Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. Thanks for joining us again for this edition of the Out of the Question podcast. I'm joined today by my co-host, Charles Roberts. Hello, Andrea. The question that we're going to get behind today is, who is qualified to approve or disapprove one's religious beliefs? Now, let me give you some background on why this question has been posed. Most recently, the royal Dr. Fauci appeared on a CNN program, and he was asked by the hostess, which religious vaccine mandate exemptions might be taken seriously. And he proceeded to enumerate the fact that from his point of view, and this is a quote, there are precious few religions that actually say you cannot do that. I mean, very, very few, literally less than a handful. But people sometimes confuse a philosophical objection with a religious objection. When you talk about actually established religions, there are so few of those that actually will not allow you to get vaccinated. So here he is determining that there's a difference between philosophy and religion, and then that he or a group of people are going to determine whether an exemption request should be taken seriously. In other words, to meet his standards. So, Charles, which body of people does God give authority to decide religious views that they say they hold are valid or not? Well, on a purely human level, I believe that it is the church, uh, a bona fide ecclesiastical body to whom Christ imparts a level of authority in terms of the membership of the church, the vows of membership, the discipline, the behavior of its members. Of course, as we believe and agree, the foundational principle of all behavior is self-government, governing ourselves according to God's word. But above that, we also know that the Lord has established these various spheres of authority and the church being one. And so if someone, say, for example, came to our church and said, I'm interested in joining we would have an interview with that person. Uh, membership in a church is not a privilege. We always like to use the term, at least I do. So-and-so is interested in applying for membership. So we would have an interview with that person and say, okay, you know, we are committed to this set of biblical beliefs and doctrines. We'd like to know what your thoughts are on that. And uh, so in a matter, manner of speaking, we would be, myself and the elders of our church would be sitting in judgment, put that in air quotes, on this, and this is what we were charged to do. We see, for example, in Acts chapter 20, I believe it is, where Paul charges the elders to guard the flock because these, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing will come in. I mean, that presupposes a certain amount of uh, assessing the value of what people say they believe and how seriously they are, they are in that belief. Now, what you've described is, is a rather different set of circumstances. Maybe if it was someone else, I would be saying something different, but I've heard enough of the uh, esteemed, parenthesis, sarcastic statement, Fauci, 
that uh, that's just mouthing, blathering nonsense. You know, to say something like, uh, well, that's just a philosophical difference and not a religious one. I don't think the man knows what he's talking about. Or maybe that's the way it is in his rather narrowly focused uh, secular world, if I can use that phrase. But uh, that has no basis in biblical reality. Well, I think it's fair to say that he has a religious philosophy. And that religious philosophy is humanistic in that it elevates science and scientists as gods. But I remember a while back reading a portion of one of Rush Dooney's writing that said religion can be defined as a person's ultimate concern. Now, I believe that there could be people who don't attend or are not members of a particular church or denomination that can have religious beliefs informed by their philosophy. And I think it presumptuous of anyone to say, you must convince me that your beliefs are valid. Even when you accept or reject someone into membership of your church, it's a voluntary thing. It's not an enforced thing. Right. So this is saying there is a body of people who are going to look at what it is you say you believe and your justification for why you say this, and we're going to approve or disapprove it. From your point of view, is philosophy inherently opposed to one's religion or are those compatible things? Well, let's put a, a definition of philosophy on the table, and I'm going to use a very short two-sentence definition that uh, the late Dr. Greg Bonson stipulated in a glossary in the back of one of his more recently published books entitled Against All Opposition. And he defined philosophy this way. Technically, it means the love of wisdom from the two Greek words, philo and sophia. But then he says, as an academic discipline, philosophy is the study of the fundamental source and nature of being, knowledge, reality, and existence. Well, you know, uh, I think our astute listeners will recognize that that's exactly what scripture is all about. So in some ways, it's a distinction without a difference. If we're talking about academic philosophy, like myself, I was a philosophy major in college. I know other people who were. It's a different sort of thing than going to seminary and studying theology, because when you study academic philosophy, you're studying the writings of philosophers going back to the ancient Greeks right up to modern times. And some of those, many of them perhaps are atheists, humanists, a few were Christian, either in name only or whatever. So it's a different project in one sense. But as Dr. Bonson's definition indicates, even in the academic study of philosophy, it's concerned with the same items and issues, as we could say, of ultimate concern, quoting Rush Dooney. Actually, also Paul Tillich, the liberal Protestant theologian, used that same definition. So the question is, Everybody has a philosophy, and everybody has a theology. We can use those words interchangeably. The more popular term nowadays is worldview. The question is, what is at the bottom? What is the foundation of your philosophy? What is at the foundation of your worldview? Again, I don't know. I have no clue. I, I can guess, but I have no clue what strange world Anthony Fauci lives in. But he probably thinks that you can have a religion that is totally different than your philosophy. I don't think biblical Christians would understand that in any way, shape, or form. And he's probably not so wrong that there are people who may espouse to be Catholics or Methodists or 
I don't know, pick the denomination, and yet they're at odds with the stated philosophy of those groups. And so if you have a people that only look at philosophy as an academic discipline, the same way you might look at any other subject in the academy or university, then basically what he's saying is somebody's going to be the arbiter of what's valid or not for a person or a family to object to a certain medical procedure. And I think that uh, too many people, when they hear such a thing or they hear a pronouncement from a politician saying you must do this or you must do that, not only do they not differentiate between these things, but I don't even know that they have a clear view of submitting to something that goes against their conscience for expediency's sake is not something that will bring God's judgment in time and eternity. And my guess is that uh, that same sort of sentiment that he expressed in the quote that you shared would equally be applied to a subject such as same-sex marriage or homosexuality. You know, you've got your religious view, but philosophically, there's no reason a society should not tolerate or approve of this sort of thing, whatever it may be. But again, there's this sort of distinction being made between having some aspect of your life where you live it that's informed by this stream of things, and then you've got this other more private world, which is your your religious point of view. In other words, and maybe, I, think, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing he has a Roman Catholic background, which means, I'm again, I'm estimating and guessing he may have in his head the idea of an Aristotelian difference between, as it developed in the Catholic Church through Thomas Aquinas, there's the secular realm and there's the sacred realm, and they're separate realms. You know, they don't they don't really inform each other. And it certainly serves the religion of humanism to have people think that humanism is not really a religion. It's just what you get when you don't get Christianity or biblical Christianity. And I think that it's an important distinction because Rush Dooney was talking about the threat of humanistic statism decades and decades ago. And I know a lot of people who are saying, oh, my goodness, he's just seeing boogeymen behind every bush or or tree. When in actual fact, he is correct. There really are only two religions. There's biblical Christianity and then there is humanism. And you can take all the other world religions and put them under humanism because they're granting status to man's word as opposed to God's word. Yes, and he also affirmed, as did uh, Dr. Van Til, that there is also the distinction between theonomy and autonomy. One of the two is unavoidable, and I'm currently in a study in the book of Genesis, and it is just simply amazing to me how foundational that book is and the, the ideas in it. We've talked about this before, but you can see in the choice that Adam made to partake of the eating of the forbidden fruit, which meant a denial of the veracity of the word of God and the integrity of God. That was a choice for humanism. That was a choice for saying, I will define what is science. I will define what is good, what is bad, what is you know uh, beautiful, whatever it may be. And Dr. Rush Dooney was so prescient in those writings that you referred to because he understood and even and said numerous times that if humanism is the foundation, it inevitably leads to statism. 
and tyranny, because the highest expression of a humanistic worldview is the state. Uh, we, we see this time and again throughout history, and you don't have to look much further than the first several chapters of the book of Genesis before you come to the epitome of that in the ancient time, which was, of course, the Tower of Babel. That was the effort of humanistic man in those early, early times to act on that presupposition of, of autonomy, of being a law unto ourselves. So it's interesting that Van Til said there was a choice between theonomy and autonomy, yet the modern statists acting in their mind as God, determining for themselves right and wrong, are basically denying the autonomy part of the original opposing views. And so isn't it interesting that the enemies of God try to take on the attributes of God and then criticize people or deny people based on the fact that they believe in the triune God? Yes. And, you know, clearly implied in that statement you quoted from Fauci is the idea that the state has a level of authority that transcends that of the church. It's interesting to consider how anyone who even remotely pretends to be Christian would be okay with that. But then you think about it, how could this humanistic perspective have gained so much authority and so much influence over people? Well, think of it this way. Another term for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is that the church represents God's embassy. You know, th this, is, this is the embassy of God in which, in these numerous embassies all over the world, his kingdom expands. It continues to expand. It may be retreat in a few places, you know, depending on the level of God's judgment and all these other things. But if people understand that this is kingdom building, this is empire building according to God's plan, the church is that embassy. So is the family as well. We can say that. So what is the counterpart? What is the Antichrist counterpart? Well, I would say, for example, government schools. Those are the embassies of the humanistic state. That's how people have come to this sort of intellectual schizophrenia, as Dr. Rastuni calls it, where you're being taught hours and hours a day to think one way in a humanistic way, and then for maybe two hours on a Sunday, either in your home or at your church, you're being taught a biblical worldview. And then immediately after that, you go watch TV and get more of the same that you get during the week in the public school. Right. And what's interesting now, there are people who are objecting to certain things that school boards and education administrations are forcing on them. And they're just waking up to the fact that this is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on for quite a long time. And it's interesting to me, the sorts of things that get people outraged. I'm glad they're getting outraged because they've needed to be outraged for a long time. But the subject of bathrooms, the subject of masking, the subject of injections that they don't want are suddenly getting people to realize this is not a benign institution that we're up against, especially when the people who object then get categorized as terrorists. Yes. And the curious thing is that for those of us who've been around for more than a few decades, most of us can remember when vaccines, uh, shots of various types, you know, were made available and uh, strongly encouraged for young people. Uh, I maybe like yourself, I had tetanus shots. I ate the sugar cube for polio or whatever it was. 
but I don't recall anyone ever being told, well, you know, we will, we will decide whether your objection to receiving that shot, if, if there is an objection, is a valid one. But this is where we are today. I have a very good friend in another state who works for one institution that is indirectly connected, well, maybe, maybe more directly connected to the federal government. And he's been told that he must get the vaccine. This is in a state that it's a, a big deal. And uh, he has declared a religious exemption. And he received a notice that, okay, you know, we're going to review this and uh, we're keeping track of all you folks who have given us this religious exemption. So again, it, it, it comes down to what is the ultimate voice of authority? What, who is it that declares law? This is one of the most stark power grabs I think uh, in, any of us have ever seen within our lifetimes where the state absolutely declares its authority over the church, uh, over the word of God. I mean, in, in one sense, it's always done that, but maybe in, in what used to be a Christian culture in these United States, never so starkly as what we've seen. I've also seen someone shared with me the exemption guidelines in order to be approved to not get the injection. And let's just get it out of the way. This injection is not a vaccine. Right. All right. So right. if yeah. you're talking about vaccines, there's a whole debate on the efficacy and the correctness of taking a vaccine, but this is not even promising to eliminate the possibility of infection or the possibility of severe illness leading to death. So I like to call it the injection, but the requirements included things like we want a description of your deeply held religious beliefs and show it to us over time. Second point was you had to show that you have never gotten a vaccination. Thereby, if you ever had one vaccination, then you should have no problem with this one, meaning that a person isn't even allowed to change his mind in terms of I did something and now I don't think it's a good idea. And then they required a letter from an authorized church to say, and by the way, you don't even have to go to this church or be a member of the denomination, but you have to produce a written document saying that this church objects to people having to have vaccinations. And when the person asked my opinion, and of course, he went into the other thing about fetal cells being part of the research or even content of this on and on. It's like the entire process of having to justify to a faceless individual, because you don't know who's going to read it, without the opportunity to sit down and then ask this person, well, what are your deeply held religious beliefs and why do you hold that idea? That I said, to me, the process goes against religious freedom. But if nothing else, you're giving the state a uh, written confession because you're confessing your faith. So now they know the people who will be their opponents. And it sounded very much like what used to happen in communist China, that you had to write out your confession and declare yourself guilty. So I know a lot of people who are submitting religious exemptions don't think they're doing it that way. But in actual fact, if someone says no, then where are you? Yeah, that's that's another rather pernicious aspect of the whole thing where, you know, people are being tracked. People's names are having check marks put by them. 
as potential troublemakers or people like you said, where we can keep an eye on this particular group or that that group. Getting back to his statement regarding uh, a philosophical difference, if if I can quote Dr. Bonson again in the same book that I referred to, he makes this very interesting statement. He says, everyone does philosophy. The issue is not whether you do philosophy, but how well you do it. People do not decide to do philosophy or to not do it because doing philosophy is unavoidable. And that speaks very much to what we've been talking about. Again, I think Fauci is making this strange uh, distinction. And I think what he wants to get at and what he's getting at is what you have described is, uh, okay, is this, maybe he meant pragmatic, you know, Uh, pragmatically, you're you're just going to be against this injection right now. But uh, let's take a look at what your church membership is, your denominational affiliation, and uh, we'll see. You know, it'd be like this. It would be sort of if we we got to a point, and and who knows, maybe I'm I'm being uh, an accurate prophet here. I hope not. But we get to a time where in our society, people are absolutely required to vote, you know, and you, you can either vote between Satan or Lucifer. That's your choice. You know, candidate A is Satan and the candidate B is Lucifer. And you say, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to vote for either one of these. And they say, well, wait a minute, you've never had a problem voting in the past. Right. It's, a, it's the same rationale for this. Yes, it's easy to say, look what they're doing to us. Look what they're doing to us. But I think a greater issue here is that for the longest time, when the church has preached salvation, they've preached the gospel of personal salvation rather than the gospel of the kingdom. And so when it came to philosophical views on economics, history, politics, education, medicine, or science in general, since the focus was we got to get people saved, it's more important that people are saved, that they thought that these areas were somehow neutral realms. And yet this whole posturing that we see now has a lot to do with one's philosophy of economics, history, politics, education, medicine, and science. And it's about time that the Church of Jesus Christ realizes that we allowed ourselves to be put in a box. And the fact is, these status views need to be put in the box. We must be outside the box and preach the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. Yeah, one way that showed up, or the, I should say, the the result of that type of uh, self-reflective pietistic sort of religion or Christianity showed up was in the issue of abortion. You know, uh, Christians uh, woke up one day and realized that the Supreme Court had just, in in a tyrannical move, told all the states, you can't make this decision for your citizens. We will decide that abortion is allowed in all 50 states. And so now it's not uncommon to have seen over the past 20 or 30 or 40 years Uh, For example, uh, fundamentalist Christians who otherwise take that point of view that you just described, they're all very pro-life and anti-abortion. Meanwhile, I'm guessing that probably some of those same people in that category are some of the first to roll up their sleeves and get the uh, genetic injection, the gene-altering injection. Uh, They stand and salute whenever the government says something. Uh, All you have to do is wrap it up in an American flag and they'll do it, you know, because uh, in a level that is undeniable. These people really worship the state under the guise of worshiping God because they think that the the Lord chooses sides that 
Obviously, if we could meet Jesus right now, he would be an American citizen. Certainly he would. This, this kind of mentality that doesn't seem to grasp the fact that uh, the Lord doesn't share his sovereignty with anyone and that he delineates those who are faithful to him in all areas. And so over time, insofar as people who claim to be Christians are not honoring the Lord in the areas, for example, that you have mentioned, economics, education, etc., the Lord begins to allow those who pursue humanism in those areas to deal with the consequences of denying his authority and his, his law in those areas. And that's largely what we're seeing now in our society. And that's why I think a knowledge of biblical history, both in the Old and New Testaments, is so important. I mean, the state says you have to do things. There were a fair number of Hebrews who did throw their babies into the Nile. How do we know that? Because Moses' mother was an exception. Right. Or can you imagine Peter and John getting arrested for preaching Jesus Christ as King, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and being told, okay, what we want you to do is to write up an exemption that we will approve or not, and we want you to prove that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. I mean, that's what you're saying. You're saying he you know, judges all things. He's the king of all things. We would like some proof of that, and we would like the testimony of religious leaders to tell us that this is true. That's not what they subjected themselves to when they were beat up. They considered it an honor that they could suffer for Christ as Christ had suffered. And they said what? Okay, we'll write out our exemption. No, they said we'll obey God rather than man. You know, it reminds me of the uh, scenario where your, your home or your car have been burglarized or vandalized. And it's after that happens, you know, that you get the burglar alarm. It's not supposed to go that way. It's supposed you have it first to prevent that from happening. To some extent, we are seeing a similar thing today where people want to now all of a sudden be proactive and say opposing gene-altering injections. I can say this to any who may be listening to us in this particular podcast. If you are a member of a, uh, either a, an independent church or a denominational church, you should look very carefully at your church's constitution and you know, it's organizing documents because it would behoove you well to put into writing some of these kind of issues. We're seeing many churches uh, now who are producing statements concerning these injections, and that's a good thing. But again, it's sort of like putting in the burglar alarm after the house has already been burglarized. I served a church in the state of New York some years ago, and when I got to that church, it was probably 10, 15 years before that state approved so-called same-sex marriage. And I don't know that any of us saw that coming down the pike necessarily at that point, but I said, you know what? We should put into the bylaws of this congregation, of this particular congregation and this particular denomination that, you know, we only observe Christian marriages between a man and a woman in the confines of this building. And we did. We had that in there. And uh, we've seen the same in other places where people have said, we will rent out our church hall for people who want to have a wedding, but uh, it must be a Christian wedding. It must be between a man and a woman. 
And I'm sure some churches have done that now after the fact relating to same-sex marriage, but it's the same here. Of course, the Bible is our ultimate constitution and our ultimate authority. But see, I think what Fauci was getting at in that quote is, well, you know, there are different philosophical takes on what religion is or what your theology may be. Uh, Again, show me your church bylaws where it says you can't get uh, an injection. Right. And here's the other thing, and maybe this is why churches don't want to do this. And that's because if they have it in their bylaws, then they are required to defend the members of their flock, just like the shepherd is supposed to guard the door. And abortion is an issue. Marriage is an issue. Well, what about the drafting of women into military service? Mm -hmm. Um, Who would ever think that that would ever get to be a point where this would be fighting words? And so this is where you see the ramifications of antinomianism, because so many things have been relegated to, well, that's just Old Testament. We don't do that anymore. Oh, why don't you do that anymore? I don't know. We just don't do that anymore. No one ever said we had to do it. And so I believe God is giving the church a spanking that says it's not enough to come in and be pious and and to sing songs if you don't understand what being a member of the body of Christ means, what your obligations are, what your duties are. Worry about your rights later on or what privileges you get, but we're called into an army. And it's no surprise that most of the hymns that talk about the church militant meaning the church on earth, have gone away because, you know, we're supposed to be pacifists. We're not supposed to want a war. Oh, well, read your Bible. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. That uh, hymn has been excised from more than a few hymnals, but it, it again shows the, uh, the fact that that's happened. Uh, but getting again back to the issue of this supposed philosophical versus theological difference in terms of all areas of life, We see the chickens coming home to roost for those churches and those Christians who have either out of innocence because they've been taught this by their leaders or because they don't really care this business of, okay, well, you know, my spirituality is something that happens within the confines of this building. But once I cross the the doorpost, then, you know, that's the secular world. And, you know, I I rely on my government leaders, my politicians, my doctors, my medical people, you know, our our leading cultural figures to help me out and help me figure out what's good and what's bad in this particular area. Now, maybe on some level that used to be okay, and that we could assume that a, a significant number of people in a community, if not in an entire state, more or less operated from general biblical principles. I think those of us of a certain age can certainly remember times like that, even that there were, you know, general ecclesiastical differences. The neighborhood where I grew up here in South Carolina, just about everybody was either a Baptist, Methodist, or a few Presbyterians, and even a few Catholics. Regardless, and even I'm sure there were some people that didn't go to church anywhere, but nobody thought, you know, that this is a hackneyed old saying, but you know, when I was younger, people would go out the house and not even lock the door. Well, there's a certain level of truth to that, because you right. can assume that people generally um, govern themselves according to the basic standards of the Ten Commandments. And But those days are long gone, and there was even nothing then that really required it except social conformity. And most people, or some people, I should say, uh, whenever that was not a factor, they were glad to violate any of those commandments. And going back to the 
individual who sent me the criteria for presenting an exemption, mm -hmm. I pointed out to him that the jurisdiction of the state and the church were the only things mentioned in terms of what he had to prove. And it just goes to show that when you make the family only the place where people sleep at night and eat their meals and procreate, but we'll, everybody else will take care of the rest. There was nothing in there that said that as the head of his household, he said no based on his faith. And so I really recommend not so much for public consumption, but for families, the husband and wife to get together. And what is our family philosophy? What are we willing to fight for? If we're going to say we think this injection is bad and we think that our children shouldn't get it, but you know what? We really want them to go to the public school because we don't want to have to educate them themselves. Okay, we'll just comply. That's not done based on a biblical obedience. That's based on an expediency. And so by having your own mission statement, and I always say this to people who begin to homeschool, make sure you know why you're homeschooling and what you're trying to accomplish. And it doesn't have to be the exact same thing as the homeschooling family to your right or left, or even the Christian school down the street. You are responsible before God. And I think we're at a time where families need to reassert themselves, be part of churches that will defend their right to make decisions for their families, and that have a unified force that even if 25% of the people of a church think an injection's bad and 75% think it's good, that the 75% has to be willing to defend the 25% who have deep religious philosophical convictions saying that if we do this, we're going against our conscience and we're thereby sinning. That's the kind of force that can be an effective challenge to statism. Yes. And I think that uh, on another level, like B Dr. Bonson said, doing philosophy is unavoidable. And so the exercise that you recommended for families and sort of writing out, well, let's maybe this is a good time for us to think through this matter is a very good one because certainly Fauci has a philosophy. He has a theology too. They are intertwined as does anyone who works for the state. And uh, th this affects all areas of society, all areas of life and the family is the ultimate focus for these things, and it is the place where, as Dr. Rastuni constantly reminded us, it is the child's first church, his first government, his first school. All of the things are nascent in the family, and the, the sad part is going back decades and decades in this country, if not a century or more, uh, families have basically decided or been told, look, uh, you know, the, the state can take care of that. Uh, teachers know better. And it's amazing when you look at some of the cultural indicators, you know, I'm a, I'm a great fan of the old Andy Griffith show. You know, I, I used to joke to my wife, I said, I wish I could find one of these um, channels where that's all they show 24 hours a day, nonstop, the, the Andy Griffith show. And I found one, <laughs> you know, and, uh, um, you know, in, in the series, there's one character who is a public school teacher. And it, even then with this thing, I think this particular, these particular series of episodes came out in the early 1960s, you know, and, uh, it's, it's the public school teacher who really knows the best for the child in this instant and that instance. And incidentally, now, since I brought this up, there are several also, uh, also several 
episodes in one of the two of the seasons where there is a county nurse who shows up to make sure that the, the farmers outside Mayberry get their injections. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You see, it's a slow boil before the frog figures out, wow, I'm burning up. But media has always been propagandizing this idea that someone other than the family knows best. Even though we had father knows best, oftentimes he was still sort of inconsequential to what was happening. When people think of home education, I saw a meme recently that said, most people thought education was the important part of that word, when in actual fact, home is the most important part of that word. Because families that homeschool tend to have a greater sense of an identity as being part of a family than people who pursue education apart from it. Yeah, and, and really what's happening, uh, and th- this is very pertinent to the topic that we are uh, sort of revolving around here, is that the, the government school becomes the separate family, the most important family uh, for the children, because this is the place they spend most of their time. Uh, where they're getting guidance and instruction about the meaning of life, about math and science and history and all the rest of it. And it's being done from a standpoint that is approved by the state. And whether you're talking about uh, Father Knows Best, the Andy Griffith Show, uh, you know, uh, black and white, late 50s into the mid 60s TV sitcom type programs, you will occasionally see in those the family going to church. You know, there are sprinkled throughout these, you know, just coming from church or going to church but it is always sort of a peripheral thing. You know, it's not the central thing in, in the lives of the people, maybe more so than anything we would see today for sure. But you can see it even then, for example, in, the, in what I just mentioned, that it's the school and the teacher uh, that's far more important. Now, there are several episodes of the Andy Griffith series where there revolves around something relating to church. But for example, you know, the minister says something and, you know, a few of the characters in the series are falling asleep during the sermon, you know, just sort of a comic relief type thing. It's not anything that's meant to be taken seriously. So I started off by asking who is qualified to approve or disapprove one's religious beliefs. And so I think we've said a person has his or her religious beliefs based on a philosophy But I want to go one step further. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God, then what should determine your religious beliefs is the word of God on issues that the culture is obviously confused about. So the you brought up abortion. I hear a lot of people say, I think abortion is wrong, but I don't think we can tell other people what to do. That is not a belief that's consistent with the Word of God. The Word of God has many places that talks about standing up to evil. And by just logic, if, for example, thou shalt not kill is a law, then helping to prevent murder is part of that law. And Dr. Rajduni goes into the many aspects of all the Ten Commandments and how they relate to every area of life. So I'm not advocating that people get to make up their own religious beliefs, which people can do, but we shouldn't call that a biblical world in life view because the Bible should be the authority first and foremost and then final that says 
whether something is in line with God's word or not. And sadly, there are, I would say, a significant number of pastors and even seminaries that promote an aberrant view of biblical philosophy called two-kingdom theology. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about that, but it basically is an abdication of Christian life, and it is a, a, to that of the state, whatever the government says, whatever the secular realm says, that, that's a separate thing than how you live your, your spiritual life. Your, your main goal as a Christian is to become saved and to share Christ with others and promote the gospel, which in this view is separate from anything relating to politics and government and education and all the rest of it. I'm personally familiar with the situation where an individual who was a, is a member of a church, uh, a by name reformed type church, who has a, a church leader who promotes that kind of view. And this particular individual worked for a company where they were told they had to be vaccinated. That was the term they were told. Right. And so this person reached out and said, you know, I, I have some religious objections to this. Can you give me some guidance to this particular religious leader who is a promoter of some aspects of this view that I just represented? And the response was, well, you know, I don't really know what to tell you about that, but, uh, you know, here's some websites. And th they were websites that promoted this view that there really is no such thing as a Christian politics or uh, a Christian version of uh, education or a Christian version of history. The people actually say this. And, you know, it, it sounds so astounding to us, but yet we're living with the results all around us of people who have operated according to that point of view for far too long. In closing, let me just say, rather than saying, oh, wow, we have a pathetic situation, what are we going to do? If we know the truth, we can export the truth. And we don't need a soapbox that speaks to thousands of people. We just need to interact with those people God puts in our path. Now, some of us have a wide audience. Some of us have a smaller audience. But I would say, if you want to be hopeful in terms of that the tyranny, the evil will not prevail, you've got to be the person who, when talking to relatives, friends, neighbors, not, oh, John 3.16, so I'm going to say this and they're going to look at me like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we have to prepare the ground for the seeds we're going to sow. And most everybody today is upset about something. And it's very important that as we listen, and we engage with them that we are ready to present a biblical world and life view to give an apology. Um, I've told people this example. I was in a pharmacy recently to pick up some throat lozenges, and this woman was very helpful. She was really nice. She had her mask on, and she told me she had gotten her injection, but she was still deathly afraid of getting this illness. And I pointed out, I've had the illness. It wasn't fun, but now I'm fully immunized. But as we walked to the front of the store, being that this was October, there were rows and rows and rows of candy. I mean, <laughs> rows of it. Yeah. And I looked at her and I said, this is the comorbidities. Okay. The people who get sick. Now, she wasn't overweight and I don't think she was diabetic. But I said, these are the people who engage in this and overdo it or even underdo it, but they have so much sugar and bad ingredients putting into their body that I said, this is what makes this COVID thing dangerous for people. Because I believe 
obese people have the greatest chance of getting very sick and dying. And she looked at me and she said, oh, you'll never get people to give up this. So we live in a world where people don't really think through their actions because if they did, they would look at all that candy as being much more problematic than getting a virus. Yeah, there's a guy that I follow on YouTube who uh, sets up a camera in different places around Manhattan, New York City. And one of his favorite targets uh, are, are people who are masked up and yet they will stop momentarily to pull the mask down and do vaping or smoke cigarettes. You know, <laughs> and then they'll put the mask right back up. But yes, I, I think, again, this affords us a marvelous opportunity to not necessarily reprove people in sort of a bombastic way, to, but to help people understand there is a better way. We, we'd be surprised, perhaps, to know how many people are really laboring under this tyranny and, and the uh, pronouncements of um, phony leaders like uh, Fauci, and they're looking for a positive word, some hope that there is something better. They may not realize it or be able to articulate it. And, and especially our fellow believers, we should take encouragement, as Dr. Rastuni never failed to remind us, that for us, the hope is not, it is certainly that the kingdom of God will flourish and expand uh, until Jesus returns, but also that insofar as humanistic man uh, continues his path of destruction, even in his success, he's sowing his, his own death and destruction. And it is in the aftermath of that that we have a tremendous opportunity to rebuild and help people see a better way. You know, it's dark and you light a match. It's now not dark anymore. Amen. That's right. Well, I hope we've helped people who might be struggling with this or need some talking points. And uh, there are resources that if you email us at out of the question podcast at gmail.com, we can refer you to. There are churches that have made very bold and detailed stances on this thing and uh, are willing to share their information with you. But mostly recognize that you need to be a philosopher and you need to examine what it is you believe. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.